Hello, everyone. Wilkinson here. Today, my guest is Alan Cavello. Alan, say hi to my peeps. Hey, how are you? Alan is an interesting guy. He was the videographer for Boys in the Band. I was the stage manager at the event theater, and we met there. And uh, I heard a little little story here and there about him. And uh, <laughs> one of his friends said, oh, you should interview Alan. <laughs> so let, let's talk about your story a little bit. Sure. Um, so you're gay. Yes. When did you come out? Uh, 19. I came out at 17 and met my husband when I was 19. And you're still with him? I'm still with him 50 years later. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. <laughs> I think about it as very strange. <laughs> Do you really think it's a strange? Or? It is because I'm going to be 70 this year and it totally blows my mind because you know, the inside of us feels like we're in our 30s. Right. It's all very weird to think 70. It's like when, what happened to the time? You know, it's funny when you say that because my mother, she died when she was like 84, 85. But before she died, she said it. Well, first of all, she took every mirror out of the house. She didn't want to look at it. <laughs> but she said to me one day, it's just me inside. Which means it's just her, like when yep. she's 20 or 10 right. or whatever. It's right. just my, us. Yeah. But I think that's probably the spiritual side of us. I think so. Whatever it is. Absolutely. Yeah. I the, agree. The other the other, yeah. But anyway, let's go back. How did your sure? Uh, you had a family. Did they like yeah, all my families back in? Yes, uh, I. When I was seventeen, uh, I came out, but I was not out to the family. When I when I they met Shelley, my husband. Uh, they we had a I did a slideshow uh, called Sixty Years of Many Lives Together," which was back in the day no video but slides, and I had a slideshow with music that was ninety minutes of reflecting the family and growing up. The old baby photographs, the old photographs I t put into a slideshow. And how, that, were you, how old were you, though, when you did that? When I did it, I was 18, 19 years old. Okay. All and right. At that point, they cried watching their own pictures. It was basically a real tribute to the family. And uh, they would whisper to my ear, we know what you're about. We know about Shelly. And it was very sweet because they, they were coming from a place of love. You know, they were oh, like wow. respectful of the fact that I would spend time reflecting about how much they meant to me and in their tears would say, we understand who you are and we don't care. Which that was your father and mother said that? Uh, well, my father was gay. He was not part of the deal, but yeah, it was, that was your father was, gay? my father was gay <laughs> and uh, my parents were married for 10 years, but he, he responded very differently about it. He, he did not have a good experience being a gay man. So he was afraid that my being gay would be a curse. Wow. Yeah. And he felt responsible as if he made me gay, which of course we know that that's not true. So your parents got divorced. They got divorced after 10 years. So when oh, I- How old were you? When at you the got... time I was 11. Okay. Yeah. And you were still in contact with him? I, he's passed. But I mean at that point. At the time we were still in contact. He was in Boston. We, I lived near the Cape uh, in, uh, outside of uh, okay. P-Town. And uh, it, we had an interesting it, relationship, distant- and you would think it would be the opposite that we were sharing the same, you know, sexual uh, lifestyle, but it was opposite. He was very contentious and well, very, very kind of confrontational. He now, was having some mental issues, you know, right. I think dealing with his own gayness, right? you know, in the 50s. He wasn't at the video presentation. He, he saw the video and thought it was awesome. He loved it. But yeah, but they, they, my family saw it in a different way. It was about them. And, uh. I wasn't expecting it to be the perfect way to come out to your family. Right. <laughs> it never dawned on me to yeah. do that. Did your mother remarry? She did. And so her second husband was there watching it? Yes, he was. 
Okay. And he's the one that was on board with it. Yeah. Every, yeah, they were all, everybody. Yeah. Cause he was in it. He was in the video. Uh, besides the photographs, there were some recordings. So it, I did the best I could to capture the sound and the pictures of my family in the 60 years that we had shared the experience of being a family. Was Shelley in that? Yes. Very much so. Yeah. So how, who was Shelley before the video? Was he just your friend or your roommate or what was he? I met him in a bar. Like, but I mean, to them, what was he? To them, he was just a friend. Yeah. A friend from Boston. And, okay. you know, he didn't have a family in Boston. So for Thanksgiving and Christmas, I invited him and my family was always very warm and welcoming. And so it didn't matter. Right. But it was a lot of time was being spent with Shelley. So at that point, they, they put two and two together. Okay, so now we go back. So you met him at a bar. Met him at a bar uh, through a mutual friend. And I was dating this guy. And on weekends, I was at the dorm and my friend was with his parents. So we would come to Shelly's house on weekends to spend time with him. And we, the three of us would do things together, go out. And one weekend, David called Shelly to say, I'm dating Peter. So, you know, tell Alan I'm not coming to visit. And Shelly says, so he dropped you. Yeah, he dropped me on the phone. And Shelly's like, well, you can come over anyway. Cause you know, I, I would just go and hang out with Shelly and then go to the bars. Right. It didn't dawn, dawn on me that he would be anybody that I would have an, an interest in. Right. So one thing led to another and we just kept hanging out and hanging out and I'm 19 and having my, my focus and on wanting to have a relationship. And he feel like, felt like the perfect candidate. He was always wanting to get stoned when he, we would talk about something as serious as a relationship, but you know, I, I eventually conquered it. <laughs> I got my way. So David was the guy that left. David was the guy that left, and we were we were still friends at the time. But um, it was just an interesting thing because David was more my physical type. You know, he was very Paul Newman looking with the gorgeous eyes and the and the afro hair and gore, just amazing looking guy. But Shelley was was he was, black? He was not. He was, but he had afro hair. But he had an afro, very thick, brown, beautiful hair. Yeah, it was. You know, you're talking about the seventies here. Now you realize that David sent you a text if they had text. Yes. That's what he, how he would have texted me to yeah. say he's, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're done, which, you know, it's amazing that people can just do that. But he was, right. you know, we were hippies, you know, everything's free love and, you know, it's not going to, nobody's taken anything too seriously. At 19 years old, I was taking it all very seriously. Right. Yeah. Did you ever stay in touch with David? Oh, we did. Yeah. Okay. For a while. And I don't know where he is now, but for probably 20 years after that, we, we stayed in touch. So did you and uh, Shelly move in together or what? What happened was that I was leaving college for the summer and I said, I'd like, you know, to hang out with you until I find an apartment. Well, you know, I wasn't looking real hard for an apartment. <laughs> and I figured, well, you know, school is going to start in the fall and this was May. So I just need a place June, July, August, September, we start school again. Well, I ended up not going back to school. Uh, and then I took a year off and then worked and then I went to a different school and we ended up just living together. And before I knew it, we were in a relationship. Hmm. So it, it worked out great because it's something I had decided. I decided that that was what I wanted to do is have a serious relationship at 19 years old. I wasn't really much into the playing around. Oh huh. yeah. That's not fair. It seemed pretty easy. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it's, oh. it's interesting how it works out. So then what happened in your life? And what happened in my life was I finished college at Emerson College. I studied uh, videography and uh, theater. And uh, we moved from Boston to the Burbs. And uh, in the process, uh, we ended up finding a house. At, at the time, we were in an apartment. We bought a house in Cambridge. 
for ridiculously cheap money, uh, renovated it, uh, lived there for 37 years, and then moved to Palm Springs about 11 years ago. Do you still have that house? We do. At the place in Cambridge? No, we do not. We sold it. Oh, yeah. I wanted you to give it to oh, me. I'm oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. That's what paid for the place here and the renovation. Well, my, uh, yeah, my son uh, lives in South Dartmouth. I don't yeah. know how far away that is. It's about 50 miles south of Boston. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, it would have worked if you could have given it. Sorry. I didn't know you then. You might have been the inspiration to, to keep it. There were thoughts of keeping it. We talked about right. being bi coastal, but too much it's drive. a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So then what? And then in the process of our being together, we would uh, meet people, you know, and sometimes we'd have threesomes and sometimes those threesomes turned into throuples. So, uh, throughout our lives. For those of my listeners that may not know, define a throuple. A throuple is when there's two of us in a relationship and we invite a third person in. So instead of a couple, it's called a throuple, which is three instead of two. And uh, it started out physically. Convenient. Yeah, well, it, <laughs> it starts out very sexual and then it turns into beyond that, you know, you go to the movies, you go shopping, you do things that just regular people do. And uh, we start liking each other as friends. And then we, we include a physical attraction to much more than just the physical. And then it would last for a couple of years and they were young and younger than us. And it could, we broke our, our hearts were broken and we, something else would happen. We weren't planning it. These always felt like they organic. We weren't like looking for a third person. So the, and that happened. The universe just sent them to you. Yeah. They just, Basically. I mean, it, they yeah. show up. Yeah. I mean, I was a photographer at the time, so I would, you know, photograph models. And sometimes these models knowing I was gay with my partner, they weren't out. So they would really get comfort in talking to a couple, you know, right. being gay. And so that kind of made them being, they were vulnerable and willing to talk about in, in a way that they didn't feel comfortable with other people. So that's kind of, we became almost like counselors, you know, mentors. And how many, how many troubles were you in? Four of them. And they were, they lasted an average of three, four years. And again, they were sometimes in college, they were moving with careers. They would move to New York for career or whatever. There was always, you know, a bigger reason for the situation to, to alter, even though each situation felt like it was going to be long-term. It, it never felt like it, it was just going to be a playful thing that wasn't going to last. But the more recent one, 28 years ago, we met Doug. He's from Nebraska. I met him online through AOL, which was the thing to do back in the day. Well, we were, they were charging us by the minute, I think three cents a minute to talk to text people and engage with them on, on AOL. And, uh, I, talk with him and I like talking. We talk spiritually. We talk relationships and being from Nebraska, he didn't have a lot of experience. He had, I met him when he was 32 and he came out when he was 28. Uh, and then, you know, he came to visit. I'd visit him. Uh, he met Shelly. The three of us really got along. After a couple of years in Nebraska, he moved to Boston. He wanted to live down the Cape on his own. He didn't want to live with us necessarily, but he just wanted his own place. So we would spend the weekends coming down to visit him on the Cape and in uh, Bourne, people always assume that if you're gay and you're on the Cape, you're in P-Town. But no, this was just over the Bourne Bridge, which is where he lived. Okay. And that worked out great because it was about an hour away from Boston and it was a great way to get away from the city. And, and he loved having us. And, and then we all decided after several years of being uh, in Cambridge and the Cape that uh, Shelley was going to retire. And we had a seven-year plan about finding a place to retire, selling the place, moving out, 
and we were all going to move out here. And once we did move out here about 11 years ago, it was the first time that the three of us actually lived together. Mm. And uh, we found a place that needed a lot of work. Doug does construction, so he was able to spend two and a half years out here by himself while Shelly and I were closing things up and retiring and moving on with our jobs. And uh, we all eventually got together. We moved out here when the place was renovated, and uh, we it's it's worked out perfectly. Oh, ain't that convenient. Jeez. <laughs> it, it's really very convenient. There's so many convenient Yeah, things. it's really pretty awesome. I hope you appreciate all of that. I totally do. And they appreciate my social skills, my ability to meet quality people that I get to share them with and vice versa. So you said earlier when we were chatting that you're the social director of the group. Yes. The- Shelly is the, the person that is wise in investing and he's the financial wizard. And so he's the accountant. He's the accountant, right. And I'm the social director and and the tech, the tech whiz. And Douglas is is the guy that does all this phenomenal craftsmanship and, and, and uh, construction work. I mean, just tremendous work that he's done. And we were We've well, the three of you together are the perfect guy. It, the three of us together are a perfect guy. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. You're right. I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. So you moved here. What'd you do here? I, oh, wait, 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 wait. We're not going to skip back. Okay. We're not going to go to Palm Springs. Okay. There's stuff we need to talk about. Sure. Like that. You were telling me about an interesting little side business. Yes. You got into it. Let's so we, it's the 80s and okay. we're all concerned about HIV AIDS. And of course that put a stop on free sex and having all this great time. Everybody was petrified in Boston, New York, all these cities. And and I was noticing that, you know, we're all still horny. We all still want to engage somehow in a sexual adventure. So I kept looking at the ads in, in the in the adult magazines and, you know, these these ads for chat lines and and, you know, you could talk to people and they were always fantasy types, but they were always in either Vegas or New York or LA. And I thought they're always 1-800-GUMBAs, but they're, they're distances away. I said, why, why isn't there something like that locally, like in Boston? So I decided to try it. I got myself a couple of phone lines. I got an account through the bank and uh, it, I called it Dial-A-Hunk. And basically you would call in and talk to a person that fulfilled a fantasy and I kind of set it up like the village people. I mean, there was a leather guy and there was a cowboy and there was a, an athletic guy, a muscle guy and, you know, and different various uh, fantasies, a top, a bottom, uh, a successful businessman, whatever your fantasy is, you were going to talk to somebody uh, to fill that fant- fantasy and, you know, engage in sexual adventures. And so you were all of these guys? I was, when I first started out, I was with various different tones in my voice. I was all of these people. Did you have like a cowboy hat and a cop hat? (laughs) In the photographs, I would find photographs that I could, you know, post. I would, you know, when I was posting ads in the Boston Phoenix, which was the sort of underground newspaper, I would post photographs of these guys. So people had a sense of who they were, but they were always people that I just found in magazines. They were, they weren't anybody that I ever met. But we had never intended on meeting anybody. It was purely sexual fantasy over the phone. Just talk. It was just talk. And it worked out because there was no contact. It was all about, you know, being safe, but still, you know, allowing our fantasies to run amok. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was great. I mean, it was a very successful business. So that whoever came up with talk is cheap. It wasn't cheap it for us. Didn't know what we, right. you were doing. That's true. And uh, one of our... One of our uh, logos was, we don't get off until you do. 
because people would always say, how long do these calls last? And, you know, we didn't put a limit on it. We didn't. Right. Cause but are they paying by the minute? Then no, they're paying. It's $30 a call. So oh. it's however long and 20 minutes to an hour. It depends. And most times it was about 15 to 20 minutes. So you did all the talking. I did all the talking until he'll, I realized he'll win. I needed help because the phone was ringing off the hook and I had two lines. I had a home line and then I had the business line and they would call and they would say they wanted to talk to a specific person. And I would call them back after doing their credit card transaction and I'd call them back as the person they wanted to talk to. And then I just got busy. So I'd hire a couple of other friends and I got more phone lines in and I would, the calls would come into my house and then I would forward the calls, call forwarding to their number. So we would keep their number secret and discreet so they wouldn't have to worry about getting calls afterward. And they would tell me when they could work and it worked out great. And we were all doing great business. Did each guy assume one character? Yes. At that point, we were able to break it down and each guy- So you're the cowboy, you're the I'm the cowboy. Yeah. And each of them would have two characters. They would, because there were six of us that were supposed to be. And if there's three of us working, we would have to take on two roles. So we did. Well, how would they know what, who they were when the call came in? Well, first of all, when the call came in, they would you. speak and get the transaction information. So that was just them being them. And then when we call them back, once the credit card went through, they would say they would want to talk to Jason or they want to talk to Mark. And we would then call them back, blocking the number. Of course, we wanted to maintain discretion in the character that they were hoping to speak to. And sometimes they didn't care. They didn't always ask. They said, we, I just talked to whoever's on the line, which is fine, which is okay too. Um, a lot of the time, they just were lonely. I mean, I hate to say it, but a lot of the time, these guys would, would start out sexual and then they were just wanting to see how I was doing and what was my interest and could they call on a regular basis. They were you know, either just out of a relationship or they just were feeling lonely or they were successful and they weren't maybe out in, in their community or out to their family. So there were different degrees of interest that people were calling us about. It wasn't just strictly a sexual thing. Yeah, I had a number of escorts right. on, on the podcast and and they've heard that same story even today because some guys are just lonely. They just want somebody to hang around with. And it's sometimes, it's, I know it sounds crazy, but they just want to engage. They want to be able to just share their feelings with somebody that they can trust and it's discreet. Uh, you can be vulnerable with somebody. Sometimes a stranger is easier to talk to than a friend. Right. Yeah. So the business went well. Business went great. And then I had a phone call from a woman and sh- and I thought, you know, I, there's nothing about the ad that says dialogue that says we're gay. I just assume that people would assume that there's guys like the village people. They must be gay. Well, she said, what about women? And I said, what do you mean? Do you want to talk to a woman? And she says, or do you want to talk to a guy? She says, no, I'm asking you why you don't hire women. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? She says, well, just because you're gay doesn't mean you shouldn't hire women because there's a lot more straight men that would want to talk to women. I thought, that's interesting. I said, why are you asking? She says, because I want you to hire me. I said, oh. I, oh, wow. I never thought of that. That I was embarrassed to say that I was kind of focusing on my own sexuality and hadn't thought about the, the money that could be made here. And, and, you know, obviously a whole community has been not being tapped. So I ended up hiring her. Oh, you did? I did hire her. She worked out well. Uh, she was a housewife, married with children, and she just took a break from it. And at night when the kids were asleep, she would let me know that she needed to work certain hours and I would forward the calls and she did very well. And then, uh, again, the phone would ring. It always rang once in my phone, in my home and then forward. 
So at that point, every time it would ring once, I knew there was another call coming through and it was ringing a lot and she was busy on the call. So I hired somebody else. I hired a woman who was a dominatrix. I noticed her ad in the newspaper and she wasn't working anymore. And I said, what's going on? She says, well, the whole HIV AIDS thing's really freaking me out. So I'm not doing that anymore, but I would consider doing phone sex because that's safe. And I said, cool, I need somebody you know that has experience like you do. And I hired her and she did phenomenal business. For some reason, that really tapped the market. And she did so well that she decided to take a trip to Japan for a month. And again, the phone's ringing at my house and then forwarding to her answer machine that said, I'm not available. I'll be gone for the month. But when, you know, when I come back, I'll, I'll return your call. And I think, God, every time that phone rings, that's another, you know, couple of bucks I'm not making. So I said, I've got to find somebody else, but I've got to find somebody that's like a dominatrix. And that's not easy to find. So I thought, you know, I'm an actor. Let me see if I can't do something about that. So I decided to try out this voice and I started taking her phone off forwarding and they would call me and I would say, as Susie, Ivy's not here right now, but I would like to take your call. I can certainly talk to you. And Ivy and I are very good friends. I'm five six, 120 pounds. I'm very, very in very good shape. And I like to dominate men. I like to take control of things. And I know a lot of you guys like that very much. And that's how that works. Wow. And, and they and they fell for it. They fell for it. Amazing. And um, once you know, once in a while, when you're doing this business, I couldn't reveal to the bank that I was running a bone sex line. I had to say it was a consulting firm. Right. So when they would get the bill, it'd say CB Consultants, and if their wife was doing the numbers, you know, was paying the bills, they may not know what that was. And if they were asking, they I don't know what CB Consultants is. So I would get what's called chargebacks, where the banks would reject. The call because they were the the person doing the call would the the customer would would not recognize it and would reject the call like it was you know we were stealing money from them so uh, a couple of times people would call and I'd say you didn't pay your bill you know you, you can see me consults oh yeah let me so I would charge them double to make up for the call that they didn't pay for and one time a guy called and he had called several times and he didn't pay any of the bills so I said you know, I'm really upset with you because I don't know why you just don't pay your bill. And I said, um, is there a reason? And he said, no, I'm, you know, I just, I feel like, why should I have to pay for it? You know, because, you know, you're hot and sexy and I really get off talking to you. I said, well, don't you like men? He said, oh, no, no, I don't like men at all. You know, that I'm just totally strict into, into women, you know? I said, well, how would you feel about talking to a woman who's actually a guy? So in the middle of my talking <laughs> as Susie, I switched and that totally freaked him out. He flipped out and never called again, back. never called again. So it was my way of sort of getting you know, it. Yeah. Getting, getting him back for all that time that he had wasted with me. That's great. And talking as Susie really opened up, uh, understanding straight men, understanding, you know, they're they, again, back to being vulnerable. A lot of these straight men were just lonely. One guy had lost his wife a couple of weeks before our call, and he said his wife encouraged him to talk to me. She actually found Susie's phone number in the paper, and, and she had cancer. And she said, I want you to talk to this woman and just share about, you know, what you're feeling. I'm not, wow. I'm not qualified as a therapist, but it was kind of that very therapeutic for him. And we spoke a long time and hardly ever about sex. It was just 
having somebody to talk to. And of course, he never knew that it was, it was me. He always talked to Susie as Susie. And so. Did you ever feel guilty about being Susie? No, because I was into it. Because you're doing a service. And I was doing a service and, and it didn't matter. You know, honestly, it felt like some of, some of the guys that I know have voices that could pass as women very easily. Right. And I didn't. I mean, I, I, had, I had to put it on. But at that point, it was about heart-to-heart conversations. These are just people that are talking to people. Right. And it almost didn't matter because it, it was beyond a sexual attraction. It was just making contact. And I don't think if, if he understood himself that he wouldn't have minded talking to a guy, but he's just thinking it starts out as a sexual fantasy or you know, he starts out with the physical attraction, but then it, it develops into a sense of trust. Right. And a feeling that I just, you know, he would tell me about this wife of his that he just lost. And I thought, God, this, this is not where I expected this story to go. Right. And it was kind of, it was very emotional and very, very sweet. I mean, huh. yeah, we kept, uh, and sometimes he would just call to say hello, not, not pay for a call. And he just, you know, hi, it's, you know, Susie, it's just, it's Frank. And I just wanted to say hello. I was just thinking about you. And it was sweet, you know. Did any of them ever want to meet Susie? Oh God, they always wanted to meet people. They always wanted to meet any of the guys or the women for sure. I even had one guy who was a cop and uh, he worked in a town and he could never use his credit card because obviously he didn't want it traced. But he was married. He was married. Yes, he was married and he was a cop and and well-respected guy. People would know who he was. And uh, he would tell Susie he wanted to do a call, but there's got to be another way of paying. He said, maybe I can send you gift cards. He's, so she said, no, you're not, you can't say, I don't want you to know my address. I want to maintain discretion. So, he, so she said, but I have a friend, Alan, who lives in Cambridge and you could always give him the gift cards and he'll get them to me. So sure enough, he would Fridays on clockwork, he, after work, he would bring me gifts or lobster sandwiches, which happened to be, you know, a place right on the beach where he worked where they had the best lobster sandwiches. And so he would, on Fridays, bring me his lobster sandwich for Susie. Did Susie like them? Very much so. They were very, very tender and very tasty. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. And he never caught on? He never caught on. No, he was a, he was really cool. We had How long did that go on? That had to have six years. Six years? Six years, yeah. Yeah. What happened to him? We. I just stopped the business. You know, the business started to become less of an attraction when these party lines were coming in, these 800 hot men lines where you would call the line in and somebody else would call it and then you'd hook up with them on the phone. And then if you hit the pound sign, you would stop the call and hook up to somebody else. So there was just people paying for their time on that line, the party line. They just stopped calling, you know, dial a hunk and dial a mystery. Did the women, um, did the guys calling Susie, did that drop, did that business drop off too? Not as quickly as I gay would think it would. Of, it know. wouldn't have. But then again, guys, straight men could call lines where women would call in. So men and women would, they could do it. They could do it themselves and that caught on too. And that was another, basically before the internet, before Grindr and Tinder and all that stuff, those were the ways that people could hook up. Huh. Uh, and that, that was happening just after the HIV AIDS crisis started to become where the cocktails came into play and there was less fear. And so that started opening up different markets and that's what happened with us. And you had told me earlier that on those chat lines, they could actually meet up if they want. Yeah. You know, we, we you made never, it real clear. Never did we never did. I mean, I wanted, first of all, the reason people did the phone calls when they were working for me was they didn't want to have to meet them. 
And a lot of these women were married and they had lives and they had other jobs and they spoke in a way that would not have matched their look. They did incredibly well. They were very successful, but they wanted to maintain that discretion. They wanted to fulfill fantasies and live through their through their right. fantasies themselves. So it worked so out. So at the height of your success with it, how uh, how many people were working with you? We had as, as many as eight people working. Wow. And it wasn't all at once because, like I said, they would call me to let me know when they the were available. Stuff like so they had shifts. And, uh, and we kept growing the women and how many there were in different styles and different fantasies and the guys too. Did you do an ad each? Yeah. The Dyla Mistress was a different ad than Dyla Hunk. And sometimes we bundled them together so that they were kind of, people knew they were the same company, but different phone numbers. So I would have like seven, eight phone numbers, uh, phone lines in my house. And then each of those numbers were attached to the ad. And each person had a different phone number so that you could you could call them directly. And it no longer were was one person's playing more than one character. So that was a full-time job for you. Yeah, that was... It must have been. It was exhausting because the hours were mostly right. at night. So I would go to bed at five in the morning and wake up at, at noontime. But, you know, it wasn't very busy in the morning. But it So was did you too, shut the phone lines off during the morning or what? We would forward them to services that would say, you know, give us your number, we'll call you back. Or, you know, we don't open until noon or whatever, something okay. like that. And some of the people would actually, they were so happy with the business, they got a second phone line. And then we would just keep their phone line forwarded to them. And they would just have their own answering machine and then answer the calls when they were, when they were able to work. So it all depended on everybody was at their own pace. Some of the students, they would work a couple of hours a night. Others would work an entire weekend. It was like Uber, right? Um, except <laughs> phone sex. <laughs> how uh, so? How much were these people paying for call? Did you say they were they were thirty dollars a call, and uh, the people working were making ten bucks a call, and sometimes you could make upwards to four or five calls in an hour. Uh, and I, the, the the rest of the money was me. I was making two thirds to pay for the phones, pay for the service, pay for the ads, and of course pay their their salaries. So it was it worked out great. Everybody was happy about it. So was, was it lucrative at one? Extremely point? lucrative. I mean, it was. There was a time that I was bringing five to ten thousand dollars a week. You know? Wow! Yeah, which blew my mind. I had no idea that it, it was possible to do that. Dog on the internet wrecks everything. I had no. I mean, I I just I wasn't. I had no idea what I was getting into. I just it it started gradually, but then it picked up within two weeks. I was bonkers busy. That's when I realized I need to hire more people. Wow. So when you shut it down, then what'd you do? I went back to doing video editing, which is what, what my original passion was. A lot of the money that I made, I invested in more equipment and doing more of that work. I so you got some really high-end equipment. I did. I got high-end equipment, which allowed me to get high-end clients as a result. So it all kind of worked itself out. So you quite the entrepreneur. Yeah. I, it just sort of turned into that, which I was thrilled about. You know, It was fantastic. And, and I'm still doing editing here in Palm Springs. I'm more semi-retired, but I don't feel good about just completely retiring. I have to have something to do. So is that why you have you? And you said you have five gay bathhouses that you own. <laughs> Which there's another major money maker. Let me tell you, I got a friend that owns one here, and he does very well. So but, for my listeners, I just made that up. He yes, did not have that. <laughs> I only wish they had, that's money to be made for sure. But um, yeah, it basically, um, as I said before, we had a seven year plan about moving out here. 
uh, Doug being the construction person for two and a half years while we were in Boston. He was out here renovating, fixing up the place we bought in, in, in Cathedral City. And uh, then my husband, Shelley, ran for office when we moved here back in 2014 and won. And he was on council for four years. And I was on the Public Arts Commission as the chair. And we, we, we movers and shakers. We really got things moving. We engaged the community and were very actively involved and politically involved. And it was phenomenal. We felt very engaged. I did a lot of my videos for the city for free. Uh, the first time they ever had a state of the city where the members of the, of the uh, council were part of the video. Normally the mayor speaks on behalf of the city, but we, I got them to think about perhaps including more of the council right. members by videotaping and showing improvements of the city on video. And nobody in the Valley had ever done that before. So we were the first ones to do it. Okay. So I have a question. Sure. I have a question, right? Right. So I do need some stuff done around the house. What are the odds do you think of like Doug being my temporary boyfriend for a couple months? I'm sure we could arrange it. We could find a way to, yeah, I'm sure that there's a way to compensate, uh, you know, for a job well done. Well, yeah, I can put him, uh, I'll put a, uh, I'll put a, an opportunity for you to test him out to see if he's what you're looking for. So, um, so the video, so we met on Boys in the Band. Yes, we did. Was that fun for you? That was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, it started out as just wanting to videotape because my friend Kai was in the show and, uh -huh. and I knew that it would be nice if the other actors would see themselves because, you know, I, the show was phenomenal. It right. was truly amazing to me. And, uh, and by the way, it's been nominated for some awards. It has been and, yeah. and deservedly so. I mean, phenomenal directing, phenomenal stage managing from you. Great job. I didn't get nominated for that. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's some of the best opportunities I've missed. I but think Terry should have gotten. Terry should have gotten. Because he was like really amazing. I mean, they were all great. They were all great. But it was a true, they should have had what he had to memorize for that. But yeah, that was tremendous amount of work. They should have an ensemble or right. Because that that was in a tr tremendous you know job they all did, huh. so I got to do that, and it was not a single camera shoot; it was going to be a multiple camera shoot, and uh, it was my way of giving back to the community. And uh, we all got to see it, and we were all happy with the results. And then it, it it spun into doing other things for the for the Bent Theater, which I'm really happy to be involved in and meeting you. So that's, that's probably the it. best part, isn't it? Really, it's always about it's about he has to be. Fun. It's got a, meeting you is a definite phenomenal uh, experience for sure. And hopefully more of your audience will get to do that instead of just listening to your voice. But yeah, you know, it's anything that's successful really usually is the people you meet. You know, that's really where the engagement happens. And I know that, right. that the, the cast of Boys in the Band still meet regularly, right? you know, which is cool. You know, they get Thursday nights, baby. What's that? Thursday nights. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so fun because they're not there to rehearse. They're there to just be involved and have fun right. with each other. That's uh, how, how well things went for the, for well, the show. Well, I appreciate you coming in. Absolutely. Before I, before I wrap this up, yep. um, I always ask my guests, what have you learned in your life? What could you pass on as advice or just life experience to my, to my listeners? Um, I would say if you're going to dream, dream big, you know, just, and don't be afraid to take risks because a willingness to succeed requires a willingness to fail. Uh, but yeah, I just dream big. It's been amazing for me. Do you have any other big dreams coming up? I mean, that's begging the question. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I want to do a movie. I want to produce a film 
uh, well, I want to, I want to do one too. So well, there you go. About it. And I need actors. So look at that. Uh-oh. You know, so there's maybe that fulfills some of one of your dreams that you want to do. There you so go. You did those acting classes. So why not you make, make use of your, of what you've learned. I think more behind the scenes, but I, I've always wanted to, that's why I got into photography because right. I want to do independent film. Yeah. And I've ever told you that. Let's do it. Of course, back when I wanted to do it, it was like, Minimum 200,000 for the film. I, I, I know. How digital. Hello. Everything is unbelievable. You can get such, even your iPhone. I watched a movie board. at the Camelot, now the Palm Springs Cultural Center. Right. A movie pre- premiere done on an iPhone 5. Unbelievable. Yeah. And the new, more recent iPhones are 4K. They are tremendous quality. It's a sound. And it's truly astonishing what you can do. And you can even do editing in your phone now. I mean, it's beyond... Phenomenal. I mean, I've been doing editing for 45 years, so I've seen things change a lot. You got the big screen with all those little wavy things on it, right? You bet. All those wavy <laughs> things. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Alan, you're a fun guy. Thank you. Thank you very much. For it was a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you all.